Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4. As we continue on in our series, we're calling Sufficient. Of course, focusing not on our sufficiency, but on the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we now would ask that you would yourself let your light shine, shine in our hearts in our minds, so that we would see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we ask for this in his precious name. Amen. Well, there is a question that I have been asked periodically uh, down through the years in, in various forms, and uh, it, it goes something like this. Uh, Dale, you always say how it's God that works in the heart of one who becomes a follower of Christ. But what if I want to become a follower of Christ? What if he's not working in my heart? What if I want to follow him and, and he isn't actually calling me? He hasn't given me a new heart. What then? Well, it's a great question because we do indeed uh, emphasize, we will again today, we did last week because the scripture does everywhere, how it is all about God's work. And we're going to address that question, but before we do, I want us to, to work our way through how Paul is addressing uh, the Corinthian church and his, his argument, his defense in this particular passage because he's got a lot of important things to say here, but we will get to that question. So Paul begins this passage uh, with the fact that there can be temptation to lose heart in God's ministry. Now, he doesn't really say it that way. Here's what he says. Therefore, 
having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But by indicating that uh, uh, he's not losing heart, they aren't losing heart, it shows that that can be a danger in ministry. This goes all the way back to earlier in this letter, in this book, as we're, we're looking at it, and in chapter 2, where, where he's talking about how overwhelming the ministry is, how overwhelming uh, the message is, and how unqualified uh, he and we are to pass that message on. And then he says in that chapter, <coughs> who is sufficient for such a task? And then he kind of regresses a little bit and uh, uh, speaks back to his critics. And, and then last week we see uh, further encouragement when he talks about uh, the, the great encouragement that, that he and we can receive from the fact that we are in the new covenant and how it is better than the old covenant and how God continues to work and how ultimately it is only God who does work uh, through his spirit to lead us to Jesus Christ. And then he says, therefore. And so uh, basically he's saying, because of all these things that I have just said to you, this is why we do not lose heart. Now, in the original language uh, that we don't lose heart, it is a, it's a double negative. And uh, one commentator identified it as a, a figure of speech, uh, litotes, uh, L-I-T-O-T-E-S. And uh, there's various ways to pronounce it. That just happens to, uh, to be one of them because I had to look it up. Um, what that is, is it's, it's an understatement uh, in order to make a point, but it's, it's usually addressed in, uh, in a negative way by negating the opposite. Uh, the, the classic example of that would be uh, a phrase that a lot of us use, uh, and that is, well, that's not bad. So there it is, two negatives, bad and not. But what we're saying is actually the, the opposite of that. We're saying that's actually pretty good, or at least it's okay. Um, in most cases, it's an understatement. It's like you go outside on a, on a beautiful, sunny day, blue skies, and you say, well, this isn't the worst day I, that I've seen. And, and that's kind of what he's doing here. He's using that term, we do not lose heart. And then he uses it again later in this chapter and then later in the book again. Some of your versions say we faint not, um, but it's, it's the same uh, phrase with a different translation. When someone is losing heart, it can be encouraging to speak with someone or to hear from someone else who has lots of reason to lose heart, but they aren't losing heart, 
and they tell you how they're not losing heart. And so that's what he's doing here. What he's saying is, you know, we, we actually have a, a, some reasons we could lose heart. He's going to say that more explicitly in, uh, in the next uh, part of the chapter that we will look at. But he's indicating that, that we're not losing heart in spite of discouragements, opposition, uh, trials, and afflictions, and yet we don't lose heart. And then the next thing he addresses in terms of ministry is that, that in God's ministry, there can be a temptation to take shortcuts. Now, I, I want to be clear. I'm, I'm being kind of kind by using that word shortcuts, as you'll see in a minute. Look what he says in verse uh, 2. He says, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So as with the earlier part of the letter, you can, you can tell the kinds of things that Paul is being criticized by, by the statements that he makes more in uh, the positive uh, by how he denies things. Um, the way we would uh, uh, use this term renounce, and I, this, this is an important point because he says he's renouncing those things. The way we would use that term would be uh, as if I'm doing something and now I'm going to stop doing it and renounce that and not do it again. But all the linguists and the commentators say that's not what's going on here. Uh, he's not saying that he was doing those and he's now stopping. Uh, he, it's, it's, it would be more like if, if I were being accused of doing something unethical as a pastor... And my response to that would be, I have taken a vow not to do those things or that thing. So that's really what he's saying. It's more in the, the, the positive sense. So what he's addressing here, it's likely either he's being accused of these things that he's renouncing or... He is seeing others who are professing to be following Christ, professing to be uh, sharing the gospel, and he is seeing them abusing it by doing these things. So let's, let's look at, uh, at these. I, I call them shortcuts, but they're not that innocent. The, the things that he mentions are sinful. So the, the word words translated disgraceful, underhanded ways, uh, those are things that would bring shame if they were discovered. And then he uses the word cunning. And uh, that word talks about someone who's willing to do, basically do anything, even use trickery uh, in, in order to advance oneself or one's, one's message. He's saying we, we renounce that. And then he uses the term 
tampering with God's word. That word tamper is uh, the same word that would be used and was used like with a, a, a wine mer- merchant if uh, someone said he is tampering with the wine. And the way he would be tampering, a, a merchant would tamper with the wine, would be to, to dilute it, to mix it with, with water, to water it down, sell it as if it were full strength, and get more profit. Of course, that's, uh, that's wrong. It's a lie. But it's also watering down the product. And he's saying, we will not do that with the gospel. Now, what about our world? I mean, where, where do we see these kinds of things in, in, in our day? Um, I, uh, there are a couple of things that that are, I think, really described by these that we see in what would be called the, the, the Christian world of ministry. One would be the prosperity gospel. Uh, now, the prosperity gospel would be basically uh, positive thinking, but also uh, preaching. Uh, it's not really the gospel, but it's called that. Preaching a prosperity in this sense. If you, if you come to Jesus, then you will be healthy, you will be wealthy, and you will be well. So it's sometimes called the health and wealth gospel, or uh, used to be called name it, claim it. Uh, and, and the idea is that it's, a, it's really a false gospel, because that doesn't fit with what... Jesus said, it doesn't fit with his teachings, and it doesn't fit with what the rest of Scripture says. Uh, In fact, Jesus was right up front in this world, you will have tribulation, but take courage, for I've overcome the world. So he never paints a picture where you follow me and all your troubles are over, and uh, that's a very dangerous form of of the gospel. So, you know, always be discerning uh, as you hear uh, preachers and as you hear people teaching. If they ever say, well, you, the reason you're not healthy or not successful is because you need more faith, that's a form of the prosperity gospel. And then, then another way we see this is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, long ago called cheap grace cheap grace. Uh, he described that in his, uh, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. Here's how he described it. Cheap grace is preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Do you see what he's saying there? <clears throat> he's saying, don't, don't count on 
God's grace unless you go to the cross for forgiveness. It's not something that's sprinkled over everybody. And that would be a watering down of the gospel as well. But you go to the cross and you will have grace and you will have unbounded grace when you go to the cross repentant in need of a Savior. Paul uh, then, then goes on and he says, you know, we won't dilute the message of the gospel. But he gives a caution in verses 3 and 4. He, he, he tells us there are forces that are against the spread of the gospel. Look at what he says in verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, Remember this phrase, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So Paul is acknowledging that there is an enemy of the gospel and of Christ and of the message of Christ, and he he says it's the God of this world. He's talking about Satan. Now, I, it's, it's good here they put a God in a small g. He's not really a God. He's not a, a, a God that's uh, opposite of the true and the living God. But he is given some reign in this world only for this time. So, the question would come, well, is he saying that, that Satan can keep people from coming to Christ? Not in an ultimate sense. But he will do everything he can to obscure the gospel, to dim it, to try to make it where people are not understanding. So how can it be veiled then? What's it talking about? Well, back in the 1600s, uh, a pastor named John Howe wrote six sermons on that very question. And uh, they are long sermons. They've got long and very difficult sentences that are hard uh, to follow. And I'll tell you just right up front, I couldn't get through them. And... Even, even the summary of those sermons <laughs> was a difficult read. So what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to summarize the summary of those sermons because he's, he's made some important points. Here's, here's what he says about the gospel being hidden. He says, uh, number one, the gospel may be said to be hidden when it's never preached to people at all. And that speaks to us. If we don't preach the gospel, we are hiding it from others. Secondly, when it's not understood. Thirdly, when it does not take hold of the conscience. Fourth, when the heart doesn't entertain or give reception to it. So he goes on to say that this hiding may be either sinful or penal, meaning uh, punishment. And here's what he means by that. 
um, sinful when men hear the gospel but refuse to try to understand it or will not receive conviction. And then punishment when God gives up on sinners and lets them go their chosen way. In other words, there's a time when God will just let people go the way they are demanding to go. Over in Romans 1, Paul uh, said it this way in verse 24 of Romans 1. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. Do you see that? He gave them up to those things, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. So, so here's the point. God doesn't push people away who desire to know him. But there can come a time where he literally permits people to go the way that they desire to go and they are demanding to go by rejecting him and rejecting his message. So here's an application to this particular thing. If you find yourself as one of those, someone who, who says, well, I'll, I'll get to it, you know, spiritual things when I get to it, Don't assume that there will always be more opportunities. The time could come when God says, okay, you've chosen your eternity. You may have it. Now that's painful for me even to say, but it's biblical. So what is the gospel? What if I do want a relationship with Christ? Look at verse 5 where it, where it emphasizes there is one focus only when it comes to the gospel. He says this, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. So that's the focus of the gospel. Jesus Christ as Lord. So he uses the word Lord, and, and Paul is saying, look, I'm not the Lord. This is not about me or my authority or my teachings. In fact, he describes himself not as a Lord, but he says, I'm your servant. Jesus is the Lord. So what's that mean? Well, let's think that through. How did Jesus become the Lord? Over in Acts 20, verse 28, uh, we see this spoken to a, a group of elders about the church, about guarding the flock, And here's how he describes it. I'll just read the the portion of the verse that 
that speaks to what we're talking about. He talks about the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for this part. The church of God which he obtained with his own blood. So when it says he, Jesus, obtained the church, that's all of his people of all time, he obtained that church by his blood. What it's saying is when he went to the cross to pay for the sins of his people, that gave him ownership rights over the church. He is therefore the Lord of the church and the Lord of all. So in terms of application again, verse 6 takes us back to what we've been saying. It's all about God doing his work. Here's how he puts it. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. See what he's doing? He's going all the way back to Genesis, and he is starting with creation, reminding them this is the God who first created when he said, let light shine out of darkness. That same God, he goes on, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That second part is talking about recreation, or the theological term we use is regeneration. That's when God gives us a new heart. We all know that we had nothing to do with our physical birth. And likewise, we cannot empower our rebirth, our regeneration, our being born again. It's got to be his work. Salvation is entirely the work of God. So if he calls you to be his child, it's not because you're smarter than others, more holy, you have more potential, a better person than others. That's not why he would call you or because you're more beautiful. Instead, he came to make you beautiful. Your value to him comes from his work in you as his child, as his people. He invites you. He calls you into fellowship with him, with his son, and with the Holy Spirit. So when his light shines in our hearts, what results gives us this, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now back to our first question that we started this message with. Someone may say, well, what if he's not enlightening me? 
since it's all about his work, his creation, his light, what if I want to know him, but he doesn't want to know me? No worries. Here's the answer. If you want to know him, it's because he's already done a work in your heart. Because if he hadn't already worked in your heart, you would not be saying, I want to know him. That's the only reason you want to know him. And so to you, he is saying, come to me. Isaiah 55, verse 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. And then going a couple chapters forward in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So receive him. Call on him while he may be found. Today is the day of salvation. Let's pray together. Lord, once again, even as we began this message, we would ask that you would put that light into our hearts that we may have the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and know that he is indeed Jesus Christ, the Lord. And we pray this in his precious name. Amen. If you want to know more uh, about the gospel, about how one can receive Christ, I've encouraged you to receive him. If you want to know more about that, I want encourage you to go to our webpage, the, the front page, and uh, most of you are watching this service because you've already been there, but on the front page, there's a, a little box that says, what is the gospel? You can click on that, and you can find out in more detail how you can receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And now in response to God's word, let's sing together, All I have is Christ.